girl, my girl, don't lie to me. Tell me where did you sleep last night? Come on, tell me, baby. In the pond, in the pond, where the sun don't ever shine. I was shivering all night through. <laughs> my girl, my girl, where will you go? I'm going where the cold wind blows. Where's that, baby? Where's that at? In the pond, in the pond. I'm here right now. Welcome. Sometimes, I mean, anytime, anytime I open up with Lead Belly, I just want to let him go. But we've got to go. We've got to go jumping into the jaws of another week. And I'm so happy to have you here. It's me, it's Frank. And you're watching the Quite Frankly pre-show, where we sharpen our knives, as we say. It's going to be big topic after big topic tonight. Um, Over the weekend, I watched 2,000 Mules, and I had a guest uh, coming on tonight that I knew would actually already, he was already on the schedule, I knew he would be good uh, to talk about this. His name is Velez, and uh, he is part of the Rogue News crew. First time he's going to be on the show. We have been... uh, in touch for a long time because I've been on their I've been on their show uh, twice and they've always been very very nice to me and they're good guys and um, man I want to talk about that and a few other things just see where that that goes once we kick that door open because hell uh, if you haven't seen it it was really just more infuriating than anything else it's not like you're going to be taken by absolute surprise there are some thoughts I'll just share when I'm on the phone with Velez but but yeah two thousand mules. That's what we will, uh, that'll be the, the, the big centerpiece tonight. And I want to say off the bat, if you have not seen this, don't worry. You know why? Because at 9 o'clock tonight, when I conclude this broadcast that we are beginning right now at 6.58, at 9 o'clock when the After Hours broadcast uh, kicks in on Quite Frankly TV, after a brief opening and just giving people some time to get into their seats and get onto the website, we will be airing 2,000 Mules. So uh, stick around after 9 o'clock. Go to quitefrankly.tv to watch. If you're not already there watching right now, powered by Foxhole. And you can watch 2,000 Mules with everybody for the first time or as a brush-up in the... Um, I mean, there was some, there's a lot of stuff I fast-forwarded through. Like, I don't want to sit there and listen to Charlie Charlie Kirk... I, I, he seems like a nice enough guy. I just get distracted by the size of his Macy's Day Parade head. I just get distracted by. I don't. I don't need to hear everybody, you know, the, the round tables. I just want to hear the data, and the data end of things was amazing. It really was. So there, there were things that I fast forwarded through just to, but um, we're you'll be able to do that together tonight, tonight on Quite Frankly TV. So. I hope you're all there to hang out with us. What else do I have here? What else do I have here? I want to thank my sponsors tonight. That is secretnaturecbd.com. Go to secretnaturecbd.com. I had somebody get in touch with me and said, Frank, I got in touch with this, I don't know, something cannabis company. And I, you know, I really gave them an earful because they won't take my, my 20% off, frankly, uh, discount. I was like, what company is that? 
<laughs> Secret Nature CBD. Ladies and gentlemen, please do not contact other you know CBD or cannabis companies and expect them to honor what SecretNatureCBD.com is going to honor. So you go there and you look through all their wonderful merchandise, all of their products, things that they have cultivated for a couple decades now. They've been in the game when it was not a fun thing to do. And now everybody's getting on board with it. So full spectrum CBD, get over to SecretNatureCBD.com, use promo code FRANKLY, and enjoy 20% off. So that that's how you'll keep calm while you're doing all your prepping and your all that other stuff. All right. All right. All right. What else do we have? So I have Velas on tonight. Sean from the SGT Report and Corey of Corey's Digs. They will both be on with me on May 11th. That's Wednesday. I can't wait for that. Tomorrow night, we might we, we either will do the, the restitution show, depending on what is breaking in the news. I like little lull days. I'm not going to talk about news just for the, the sake of it. Something enormous happens, we got to talk about it. But if there's nothing enormous there, I'm not going to go digging through the muck. We have plenty of great things to talk about. Hell, we're alive. So, making restitution thread, we've got about 15 entries right now. That's more than enough to stimulate discussion and get callers coming in. I, those, are, those are fantastic. I even have a restitution story of my own that I have to add into the mix. Something that um, really happened over the weekend, to be honest. And then the folklore thread, also 15 wonderful submissions. If you go on to Reddit, if you don't know how to get on to Reddit, just go to the forum on quitefrankly.tv or email me and I'll link you. Tell us about local legends where you're from, stories of cursed treasure, cryptids, portals in the desert, strange ruins in the woods. Paul, tall tales of the Paul Bunyans near you. We want to hear about all of them. That's going to be a fun one. It's going to accompany a really awesome thread that I found on Twitter and made friends with the author, too. So perhaps we can have him on. That'll be perfect for a Friday night show. All right. <clears throat> and then this Friday, speaking of cryptids, is Don Jeffries. Author Don Jeffries will be on with us. Wait a second. Is that real? Yeah. This Friday the 13th. This Friday. Yeah, that makes sense. May 11th. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what just happened to me. Talk about brain fog. And uh, that's what we have lined up, ladies and gents. So keep sending the June Badass nominees, your nominees for Badass of the Night. We do Badass of the Night every night throughout June. That's our non-political holiday month. So that'll be good. And um, yeah, we'll be talking about history while everybody else will be putting on nipple pasties and doing somersaults down Christopher Street. What else do I have? Okay, that's it. Let's jump into the grab bag, shall we? Sounds like a good idea. Musk, Elon Musk, reveals the size of Twitter bloodbath. This is from the Western Journal. Will literally decimate Twitter staff, bring in even more people of his own. What does that mean? Twitter employees reading the tea leaves as they try to discern the future in an Elon Musk-owned company received some bad news last week. Musk recently prepared a presentation for investors known as a pitch deck that outlines some of the moves he's planning for the social media giant, according to the New York Times. The deck includes Musk's plans to expand the company, which in the long run will expand its workforce. However, it makes clear that about 10% of the workforce that starts 2023 will not finish the year. Only 
is it really only 10% of the com uh, company that is toxic right now, or... Eh, eh, what, whatever. It's his, it's his plaything. It's not something that ever is going to serve us in any long-term way, so... Uh, people are like, oh no, oh, well, there's a bloodbath coming. Ten percent is huge, in a, of course, for a um, for a country, a company that size. But you know, it's definitely not enough. It's like we're going to remove one tenth of the tumor. Oh, okay. But here's something else that happened that was very weird over the weekend concerning Elon Musk. Elon Musk's fans concerned about billionaire as he writes a chilling post on Twitter about dying under mysterious circumstances. M Musk took to Twitter and he said, if I die under mysterious circumstances, it's, be it's been nice knowing you. People took the comment section addressing the world's richest man's on records concerning post no, you will not die. The world needs you to reform. Ooh, that's weird. Uh, why would you even play like that? Another worried fan says. This comes just minutes after Musk fired off a couple of tweets about apparently receiving a chilling message in the Russian media. The word Nazi doesn't mean what it seems to th what he seems to think it does, Musk said, attaching what appears to be a translation from a Russian media outlet. Yeah, the Russian media outlet. Oh, hold on. Did it say here? Does it say here? Here you go. From the testimony of the captured commander of the 36th Marine Brigade of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, Colonel Dmitry Korbanyov, it turns out that the internet terminals of Elon Musk's Starlink satellite company were delivered to the militants of the Nazi Azov Battalion and the uh, uh, Ukrainian Marines in Mariupol by military helicopters. Hey, that's what we were getting from... from, uh, what's his name? Oh, God. Jason Burmis. He came on over a month ago. Over a month ago or so. Last time he was on to talk about the Starlink satellites and, and what kind of, you know, dual use military use that was, that it was, uh, it was providing for the, uh, the, the NATO crowd out there. That's not supposed to be there, which is getting worse and worse. Friday, you thought it was bad on Friday. They're just new layers. I didn't think that there was new layers that they could put on top of this shit cake. That's what the sirens sound like in New York. In case you're in Europe right now and you, you never knew. So every every day that they put a new layer on top of this uh, this World War something cake... I figure it's, oh, well, this is the last one. The only thing else that they can do before there's a response, finally, from Russia, which is what they really want. They're like, you know, crazy ex-girlfriends. That's what it's like. I mean, I, I look at this, what's going on with um, with Russia and NATO right now. Uh, today, I, it, it was over the weekend we got that uh, that that these spooks from from Langley, they were going to all their friends in the media, like NBC, CBS, and they were bragging that all of the intelligence that we were providing to Ukraine, which is pretty much providing to us, is sinking Russian flagships in a war that we're not supposed to be anywhere near, even though we had a gigantic hand in starting it years ago. But um, now today, we were getting, uh, I read assurances from the Daily Mail that Putin will share Hitler's fate and the Nazis' fate. So, suicide and Nuremberg-style executions. That's 
you know, aside from all the top Nazis that we brought over here to start working for us, and then all the stay behind, the stay behind uh, Nazi units that we worked with immediately after the war in Gladio. But um, they had John Brennan went on television as well and said Putin's days are numbered. And you can probably count his days in double digits. So less than 100 days. So if you are Putin and Russia, do you have any choice than to keep going? They have no choice. You know, and NATO has absolutely no problem with millions of Europeans and Americans dying. They just need Putin to do something to them first. All right. And he's not doing it. You know, he, he's like... He's like ghosting the United States like you would ghost an ex-girlfriend or an ex-boyfriend at a school dance or something like that. And the ex is getting increasingly more more and more mad because they're not getting any attention. So they go out and they, they key Putin's car or something like that just to get a reaction. And still, no reaction. Sank a flagship, no reaction. But soon, we know what will happen. The crazy ex is going to have to slap herself in the face and then file a police report. So we'll see what happens at that at that juncture. But um, as far as this goes, we go from Elon Musk and his immense popularity and the threats he supposedly is getting one way or another. And then we go to the flip side of popularity and we get Chuck Todd. That's right. If anything ever happens to Chuck Todd, it may as well be like that old saying about the tree falling in the woods and no one being around to witness it. Chuck Todd's Daily Show has been demoted from MSNBC to a streaming service. Oh, you know why? Because no one wants to listen to a crabby little manlet who has to grow a beard to create the illusion of having a chin. Nobody wants to look. Who wants to look at this, this, this crabby little fuck? Fuck you, Chuck. Chuck Todd's Meet the Press Daily is being taken off of MSNBC will now only be on NBC News now the network's streaming service. I, this will be spun into a good thing, of course. We're moving one of our heavy hitters onto the streaming service to, to grow it. <laughs> oh, whatever. He'll be in therapy, group therapy with uh, Chris Wallace and, and um, who's the other one? Matt Lauer with the sex toys in the desk. All right. What else do we have here? Eh, I think that is good enough because I have a couple of things I want to do before we get on the phone with Velez in about 20 minutes. So don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to kick this one off right. Share this show far and wide, whether you're watching it live or on demand. I would love to t take in a lot of those super chats tonight, whether it be on the Tippet stream or the Rumble or the Gold Pills on Foxhole, the Rockfin. Uh, I want to get all of your thoughts, everything on, on the record here. And uh, moving into the week with strength, strength and honor, strength and honor. All right, be right back. Oh, I steal things all the time. It's just something I do. I stopped carrying a long time ago. You should see how many supplies I've taken from this place. Honestly, I love stealing things. I'm gonna get a drink. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. 
It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back! Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! p.m. on a Monday night. I know it's getting warmer outside. There's gonna be there's uh, gonna be less and less reason for people to be in at a seven on seven p.m. and it's gonna be light outside, warmer. It's gonna be a little bit more. Re- but you know what? You can take the show with you, like you used to be able to take, and you still can. Transistor radio, and ultimately, I wish I could. I wish you guys and gals could could get me over a transistor radio. That would be ultimate cozy I have uh, really great fond memories of those transistor radio nights on my grandparents front lawn both of them on lawn chairs it's about dusk like June mid to late June so all the the, the, the the lightning bugs are just all over the place and I'm just running through them with my brother and my grandparents are listening to the Yankees over the radio and you get uh, the, the sounds of jazz night up at the park. That was actually real in, in neighborhoods around here. That was actually a reality at one point. Wonderful. Wonderful times. But um, for now, the, the phone is just as good as a transistor radio. So take me with you to the beach. Trust me, I'd love to be doing the show from the beach right now. Getting that nice salty breeze. Tickling my nose, tickling my scalp. So, that's that. But enjoy yourself, ladies and gentlemen. Don't ever think that you have to be home for 7 o'clock. If you are, great. Then get comfy. But don't ever think you have to be home for 7. You know, take me with you or listen to me the next day. Remember, it's all always about enjoying yourself. Uh, but also, be in your seats for eight and for 9 o'clock, though, so we can watch 2,000 Mules together again. I'd love to get everybody's... Uh, Opinions on that, but here we go into what I had. I didn't expect to be doing this. I didn't want to do this tonight. We did enough of it last uh, last week, but I, I have to put this out there. There were um, I don't know. They call themselves comedians. These these crazy 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 women that go on to MSNBC and talk about things like abortion. Well, this one woman went on uh, talking about making sweet love to a to the SCOTUS leaker and then joyfully aborting the fetus. Yeah, I want you to listen to this. I want you to see this. Here, uh, it's the uh, the bimbo on the on the far right over there. So do, do you agree that this is going against the undemocratic will, but this is the only way Republicans can achieve this? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, here's the thing. Here's my feeling about the leaker. I I would like to find out who the leaker is so I could make sweet love to that person because that person is a hero (laughs) to me. 
okay? And if the leaker, yeah. a lot of people are saying it could be a conservative, if the leaker is a Republican, uh, and if I get pregnant during our lovemaking, I will joyfully abort our fetus and let them know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, well, the guy, the guy, the host, the the stupid beast of burden, idiot, fucking fool, the rollicking ass of himself, uh, is not does not think it's funny, but it, it's a it's a it's a woman who's pretending to be a comedian. Most of them do, and um, and he just wants he just, he wants to be like you know beside himself with it. Just oh my god, that cut! Yo, wow, she really went there. He's more so sweating that oh please make this be over. He does not like this, even though he's a fucking fool. And then she goes on again at the end. She she uh, she leaves everybody just kind of speechless uh, because they don't know they they can't even really register what's jokes anymore because they have no humor. So they just go right to the most I don't know insane deviant thing that they can go to supermajority during obama but what do you think they should be doing right now well this is controversial but i think that every democratic member of congress who's over the age of 87 should go on a hunger strike for abortion rights because let's face it they don't have much longer anyway you might as well go out a hero in a blaze of glory be the bobby sands of abortion and everybody's just silent. Uh, and then what every bad comedian has to do starts happening. She starts explaining the joke. Guys, that's uh, Lori bringing the heat tonight. Uh, uh, no one. No. <laughs> yeah, Joe, laugh at your own joke, you dumb bimbo. You can't. You know I am a comedian. I know we have like two very serious answers, so that I'm just giving a joke, and everyone's like, "That's a terrible policy." It is, guys. You don't have to take me seriously. Yeah, we won't. And I, and I, hopefully, you'll go on a hunger strike too before '87. But you see, they they don't. They, they where do you get humor when you're this depraved? I guess that's that's one of the problems. And obviously, they know it's life when you can take pleasure in ending it. It's like it's like scream like they 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 left behind screaming into a pillow. They don't go home and scream into a pillow anymore. They are uh, they do this. And I gotta tell you, I mean, I don't know. I I don't know if it was before 2018 or 2020. It was a night before elections. It was a night where everybody was kind of on edge, and I did a show where I talked about Night on Bald Mountain, Fantasia. And the symbolism in that last, the original at least, um, you know, where we got the Schubert, uh, Ave Maria, and all that, which obviously you'll, you'll never get anything uh, s- sacred like that in a uh, Disney film ever again. But still, the whole idea of this demon god because it wasn't Satan, it was some other demon, I forgot what the hell it was called, wreaking havoc on this small, quiet mountain town. And every ghoul, every gremlin, every tortured soul rises from the grave and just dances and wreaks havoc and, and, uh, and it just spreads hellfire across everything in this small, sleepy town, unassuming town. And it looks like a scene from hell like how could anybody how could anything overcome this 
and then suddenly there is just a chiming of a bell. A church bell rings out. And it's, it's really powerful. It's amazing. It's an amazing scene. It'll never lose its power. A church bell rings out, and all of a sudden, just these, these, these very, very steady bells ring out, and it disrupts everything. And it just, it, you can tell it hurts. It physically hurts the demons. Everybody, they, they start, they tuck their tail between their legs, and they start retreating back into their graves, back into hell. And a situation that was so hopeless and so full of terror that looked like there would be no end to it quickly gets turned around, not by an equally powerful uh, force, militaristic force, but by the slow procession of people of the faithful going to church. And it, it and I, I remember just remember being that it's the night on Bald Mountain. I remember saying it, and obviously I was a little bit wrong. I was definitely wrong on the timeline. I don't think I'm I, I don't think I'm wrong on the uh, on the um, on reading the situation. But it's 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 clear to me that we're it's still just peak peak deprivation, um, and it's just deviant. Horrible, horrible shit. You know, um, to see this as like a blood sport and to see nothing getting better, we're still, we're still, it's that night on Bald Mountain. So I don't know when the church bells are going to ring out, but that's, uh, I do believe that is going to be the ending eventually. As I say with Willie Lopez from Ghost in this life or the next, Willie Lopez never got his, uh, his earthly punishment. But he definitely got the punishment afterwards. And that's where it comes to this now. Rich Barris. Rich Paris, Barris put out a thread when we got off air. It was on Saturday, I believe. Saturday. And I thought it was incredible. Elizabeth Warren said, understand this. Abortion bans, uh, the abortion bans fall hardest on low-income people, on people of color, on survivors of rape and incest, and those working two jobs for less than enough to support the kids that they already have. The GOP has turned its backs on them. The rest of us can't. The rest of us can't. The person who, who used the identity, who assumed, wrongly assumed the identity of somebody who belonged to a, a minority group in order to win favor in the education system and make a mockery. She did this, this, this twisted twat. Rich Barris had to be said, and I love that he went there. It was great. He said, the rape and incest claim is disgustingly misleading and hides the reality that abortion is very frequently used as a contraceptive. In 2019, of the six 25,346 abortions, which makes my stomach turn. Nearly 41.8% of women had at least one previous abortion, including 7.5% who had three or more. He continues, in 2019, the last year we had data via abortion surveillance, the abortion ratio was 195 abortions per 1,000 live births. Everyone understand what that means? We hear a lot from Elizabeth Warren and others about it hurting minority women, but even that's not true. Why? 
It's not true because while black women represented the largest percentage of abortions in 2019 at 38.4%, Hispanic and non-Hispanic women of other minority races are the least likely to have an abortion at 21% and 7.2% respectively. Non-Hispanic white women, however, are 33.4%, only 4% behind black American women. Look at non-Hispanic white women by age group, and it's very, very clear that abortions among the group are not conducted out of health for the mother or some other sympathetic reason. It's unfortunately done for convenience as a contraceptive, so let's at least be honest. In fact, an honest review of abortion statistics would suggest that many white women and would-be deadbeat fathers use the hardship of black women. Thank you. I, see, he added this on before I can see this. Thank you for saying this, because it's where I was going to go with this. That they use the hardship of black women who disproportionately cite economics so that they can have an excuse to have sex irresponsibly and use abortion as a contra- contraceptive. And he really drives it home with that one. Because this went... As we've said in it's a few different ways, this went from a tragic last resort to just pure demonic recreation. That's all it is. The whole concept of tragic last resort that I grew up around with this very um, this this wedge issue always has been has gone from tragic last resort to demonic recreation. And they, and they mask their, I don't know if it's shame or they, they shrug off their, their responsibility. I think it's more so shame by projecting this onto black women who were always the targets, okay? Who were always the targets. Black people in this country were the first targets of Margaret Sanger and, uh, and Planned Parenthood. This is a eugenicist uh, operation. Eugenesis operation, 100%, always has been, always has been, and it's incredible. It's incredible. They, they talk about, oh, we, 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 have to, we have to be there to protect them. No, you, you, they've been the target since the beginning, target since the beginning, and you want to know something? The economic reasons, the economic reasons for not having another child, even if you are a poor black woman, would probably be a little bit easier to handle if you had a faithful husband despite your hardships if you're working together and you're committed to keeping a family together and growing and 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 and, and making it work that it, it, it's just it's so um disrespectful it's so disrespectful to see how they to, to see how they write off and condemn people to the lower rungs of of society and of life forever. They talk about caste systems and raising people up, but they have created the permanent caste system because most of their programs have have created these situations. They're 50, 60-year-old programs that have done nothing but harm people. And sure, sure, just like with Obamacare, you know, uh, you you put together a town hall, there's going to be people who go up up to the microphone to say, Obamacare saved my life. I needed a doctor. I was actually able to get one. I'm sure you're going to be able to find people to come up to the mic and tell their story. If you rob Peter to pay Paul, I'm sure Paul will show up to a a town hall somewhere. Uh, Only thing is that this is beyond 
This is beyond doctors. You're talking about families. Families, not healthcare. Families. And that's what this all comes down to. One other thing over here that I wanted to do, since we're going to be talking about Dinesh D'Souza's 2,000 mules tonight, and of course, no part of that heist could have been possible without the globalist godsend, the miracle. The miracle. That was COVID. This came out from ABC. Everybody's laid down some appropriate commentary on it. The White House says it's bracing for a challenging fall and winter with dire prediction of a nationwide COVID-19 surge. This as more Americans are turning to the drug Paxlovid to fight the virus. We're preparing for a a very challenging fall and winter, don't you know? The Paxlovid, uh, I had a doctor suggest that I take it when I had my flu back in April. I said, no, it's, it's okay. I just wanted to see if you can give me something for the strep throat. But, um, but yeah, the Paxlovid, that's, that's their new thing. But they're bracing for a new, win- uh, a new winter, a new fall. So I don't know where this goes, but it should always be taken note of when they, these forecasts do come out because in 2020 they started forecasting that we needed to change the way that we vote for the November election in 2020, back in April and May of that year. That's when they first started suggesting it, working it into the public consciousness. By by August, you had Stacey Abrams and Hillary Clinton tag-teaming the country, saying, we need to stop this idea in our heads that election night is, is supposed to be one night. It may be a few days. That, that's where we, st- we started in April and May. By August and September, forget about it. It was the Axios... Uh, the Red Mirage theory, all that stuff. They had us massaged good. So some people are very appropriately calling this the midterm variant. But let's be honest, from now until November, there could be eight more variants announced, imagined, released from now. I, I mean, there, it's so much can happen from now until then. But uh, best believe it. They're going to ring this one for all they got. All right, so we got Velez from Rogue News on with us tonight. Rogue News. They, they pen themselves as being a collection of commentators across finance, history, international affairs, and academia with shared belief in individual history. Liberty. I can get behind that. I'm kind of like, co- like a collection of commentators in one person. So... I have a, an exceptionally stressful job at times, but I cannot wait to bring Velez on. He's got a really interesting background. We can talk about that and then jump into the news of the week. Velez, you there? Hello, good sir. Are you there? I am. Can you hear me? I can hear you perfectly. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you for having me. Well, it's been a long time in, in the making. And uh, I'm glad that we're finally doing this here. And, you know, you have a really interesting resume, very interesting resume. And I don't know if you want me to read through it. I didn't, I didn't think I should. I think it's just ask you to tell us a little bit about your background so uh, people know who we're talking to. Sure, not a problem. And, and good, e- uh, good evening, everybody. And I'm glad, glad to be here. We've been uh, talking with Frank a lot uh, behind the scenes for a while, and we've had Frank visit our show a few times, and he was kind enough to let me uh, come in. Um, 
You know, Rogue is a collection of different commentators from finance, history, international affairs, academia. Um, our kind of our shared belief is individual liberty and empowering, you know, our listeners through the content uh, that we provide. Um, I'm always fond of the old saying about you can't resist what you don't understand. So my specific work on, on our Rogue program, I tend to focus a lot on what's going on in the international environment as well as less known history that influences our current set of things we're dealing with. Um, money, ideologies, hidden players in the background, that sort of thing. Um, my uh, weekly show I do on on Fridays, I've got a couple of recurring pieces I do, like the memory hole where, where I make sure we don't forget about things the, the media would like us to forget about. Uh, I've also got a segment I call Victories that I do periodically about some, some wins that we've got going on out there. So my, uh, my work is kind of an aggregator of content from other folks out there in the alternative community as well as, as my own research and, and my own background. Um, I've got two master's degrees, including business and international affairs. My international affairs work was in a program sponsored by Air Force Intelligence. My, my MBA was from Notre Dame. Um, I've worked for about 30 years, both with the government and in commercial firms. I've held a number of different types of security clearances. Uh, I was with Homeland Security when the agency was stood up uh, to help it work through some of the growing pains. I've worked with FEMA, Department of Defense, Health and Human Services. I did a, a tour, if you will, with uh, some of the agencies that deal with uh, Fauci, which was illuminating. Um, in one of my past lives, I used to attend a lot of, of defense and foreign policy conferences um, with a number of foreign personnel attending those where we discussed everything from national defense to uh, both the United States as well as global infrastructure, law enforcement topics, things like that. Um, I've operated as a, a program manager with a heavy focus on information technology, but also like organizational change. I've worked with mergers with large commercial firms and so on. I've worked with everybody from Silicon Valley to traditional manufacturing firms above and beyond the work I've done in government. I lived in Washington for a number of years uh, and did, did some work there, which was, was also very helpful to the work I do now on Rogue. Well, then l let me ask you, Velas, the first question uh, that comes to my mind, and I'm sure is going through a few listeners' minds right now, is why should we trust you? Why should we trust the... That's a, <laughs> that's a fair question. That's a very fair question. Um, you know, I did a couple of shows on Rogue when I first started walking the audience through uh, my background. And, you know, one of the things I conveyed to everybody was is that my colleagues, V and CJ, had, you know, like they knew who, who I am, the real me, um, and had reviewed my credentials and so on. But I've kind of let my work um, stand on its own merits. Um, you know, and I've, I've had folks in my audience send me messages and things and say, hey, uh, that one data point you had was off. And the first thing I start off with the following week is, hey, I screwed up. <laughs> you know, one of you in the audience did a good job of keeping an eye on me. This, this, this was incorrect. But, you know, I let, I let the work I've done stand, stand on its own merits. I often uh, direct my audience to, to sources that I used. Uh, or material they can they can research themselves. We've we've made use of our Discord page, although I know that you're moving over to Gilded, and we're looking into that as well. Yeah, I, that, that's been happening. Uh, that's that's that really developed a lot quicker than I thought ever. I, I thought we were we were kind of laying low and having a good time, and and then all of a sudden last week we got a notification uh, that we'd never got before, and it seemed like we were on borrowed time. And then all of a sudden I get a a text message from two of my friends this morning that says, "Hey." 
I know that you're you're starting to move over to Gilded. It's probably the best time to get the word out there because they went on a uh, a rampage nuking servers this morning. It wasn't us. We're st- obviously we're still around because I'm taking the call with you right now on uh, Discord. But that's just the kind of you know jumping from lily pad to lily pad thing that we have to go through right now. And I'm I really appreciate. I have not seen too much of your your show, Velas. I have to admit, but that 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 memory hole bit that you talked about. That, I wish a lot more people would do that because I want, usually around December, I don't know what, I don't know what uh, uh, news aggregator I go to, but there is a, uh, a few sites that go and they give you the biggest headlines, pop culture, government, everything, month by month, just to, just to see what we've forgotten over the course of 12 months. Forget about what, we, what we've forgotten over the last five years, all the, the shit that's thrown at us and disappears in no time. But um, that's, uh, that's interesting. Well, okay. I guess we're going to... Well, go ahead. I was gonna, let, let me offer, I was going to say, to your point about Discord, I also had sites I used to use to keep track of stories that have kind of fallen off the the radar out there and I've found a couple of those sites either aren't there anymore <laughs> or have been scrubbed so I almost feel like I'm doing the Lord's work by by just making sure people don't forget about uh, you know I cover a number of, of investigative reporters and authors and so on who've died under mysterious circumstances and a whole bunch of other stuff out there one of my one of my favorites is the uh, the Nashville thermobaric explosion about two years ago in the uh, French data center uh, OVH cloud that got taken out last year, and of course the French—I I covered it on my show last week—the uh, French now have a number of fiber optic cuts all across the country. But but you know that one's already swirling down the drain, and we're all going to forget about that one in a week. Well, well, let me ask you this before we get into the the main topic here, because uh, I sure. def- I want to ask you from a, uh, a, a a homeland security standpoint as well. But what would you say? Even though it, I I really don't think it even matters at this point, because to say that there are good good patriotic people who see the writing on the wall and can see what's where the strings are attached from the inside of say homeland security or at the pentagon uh what, what's the portion of people there that that you would uh trust trust uh, as far as having the, the right intentions uh for their for their country for for the united states versus those who are obviously just company I, I, yeah men. I would tell you it's almost like it was with the revolution of the United States where a third, you know, roughly a third of of the people living in the colonies were were for an independent country, a third were on the side of Britain, and a third were sitting on the fence waiting to see how it turned out before they made any commitments, which is kind of true of a lot of things in our country, but I would tell you that about from I'm heavy on the Air Force side, I've had some dealings with the Navy and the Army, but but I'd say about 30%. They're there. Uh, you know, people like Mike Moore with his program, True Pundit. Mike Mike wouldn't be... I mean, I, I'll, I'll say this. Mike had data he was putting on his program last year from inside Health and Human Services. And at the time, I was still working a contract with that agency. And everything he had was true. I mean, I had to ask around, and I had to find a couple people, but it's like, do you know anything about this document, or do we have a server somewhere has this material? And the answer was yes. So, you know, people like Moore would not be getting d- data from the inside the way he does unless there's people out there. I use the word patriotic loosely, but people that are very concerned about how bureaucratic and, you know, 
being being directed from above without a lot of of clarity around where that's where that's coming from. But you've also got a lot of people that I've worked with in federal agencies that are no different than people I worked with in the commercial space. They're just afraid. They don't want to lose their jobs. Uh, many of them have been in the government a long time. They don't want to lose their pensions. Um, now more than than ever, these last few years, a number of federal people I know at, at whether defense or just other federal agencies are facing. Um, Oh, the word threat is a little strong, but they're facing considerable pressure along the lines of, geez, I'd hate for you to have an opinion because that might impact your pension. Right. Yeah. And then, and then of course, there are those who really want to play with fire and potentially lose their lives. I mean, the, the good thing is, is that a number of these people, not all, are very skilled at operating under the radar. So, so they're feeding data to people like... Moore or Patrick Ryan or some of the other folks that are out there in the alternative space. And one of the things I've said on our show many times, or, or shows, plural, is, um, you know, I'm, you know, I've heard some people say, well, well, who are the top three or four people in the alternative space? And, and I do say this sincerely, Frank, I often direct people in, uh, to your program. Oh, thank you. But, um, no, you're welcome. But I've told a number of people right now, we want as many of us as possible because after I know that you've had some dealings with, um, oh dear God, up in Canada, uh, Polly St. George, um, you know they they went after Polly with with a strafing run, uh, and I'm glad she's still out there doing doing her thing. But it's like we we need as many of us out there as possible because if there's just a handful of really good folks, uh, they'll be able to take us down pretty pretty quickly and and. Knowledge is power, and there's a great fear out there by a number of powerful people about people with long memories. I joke about the memory hole thing, but that, that does matter. But people with long memories about how did we get here. I mean, you know, you often have covered on your program the, the, the COOF topic, the COVID topic. And, you know, it's stunning to me as we have gone through that the last two to three years, how much of basic medical understanding from just middle school and high school people have forgotten. It's mm. like we've we've completely forgotten the basics. Oh, I mean, th- that that started way before 2020 as well. I mean, the, how, how many how many years before that was everybody getting just as crazy? Although there was no reason to lock people in their houses over this, but just as right. crazy over climate change. I mean, we, when we were in, I, I was in. It was 1992, 1993. Second and third grade is when I learned that carbon dioxide was plant food. That that right. the more carbon dioxide we get, the more greening that we get, that the that the uh, the rainforests were the lungs of the earth. And then suddenly carbon dioxide is something that is is a planet killer. And it, it just doesn't make any sense. But but because we have this, uh, you know, this uh, what was it? The the ash experiment. What's the the ash? What's uh, forget the other one? The ash experiment about conformity and the pressure of conformity. Uh, obviously, you put a white coat on somebody and you get enough of them on television and people just <laughs> they just lo- they just lose every basic earth science uh lesson we were ever taught throughout our lives we we just lost it all we gave it all up it's like the it's like the joke from Dilbert where the the pointy-haired boss is introducing a new executive and Dilbert and Wally are asking well what's this guy's credentials and the pointy-haired boss is like who cares he's he's silver on the sides and he looks good exactly <laughs> See, it's perfect. It really, you know. Okay, well, stick it around there then. Uh, from a, from a, let's. I'm not talking about the the Department of Homeland Security, but if we talk about a homeland security standpoint, what is your take 
on Dinesh D'Souza's 2000s, 2000 mules because, um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't too surprised, but it was quite something else to see how this was in particular was compiled and presented. It, it was, uh, it was stark. I haven't had a chance to see it. I will uh, probably watch your, uh, your coverage of it tonight. I've read a number of things about it. However, you know, and as I've covered on, on my show, um, I've had, I've had some former defense contractors I used to work with that were actually part of the Georgia and Wisconsin recounts. I had a very close friend of mine that was one of the managers in the Arizona recount. And, you know, this, you start digging into this stuff and not, not to go too far off road here. I mean, a lot of this topic really starts dovetailing into things like, and this is one of my, my, uh, memory hole items, you know, reporters like Danny Casolaro, who was digging into what was known as the Promise software, and that was a piece of software that allowed the U.S. government to both put, like, literally insert money into certain bank accounts or pull it out at, at will, and he started digging into what that was about, wound up dead. There's a couple of other authors out there that were digging into something called the Octopus, which is kind of related but similar. We've got Ghislaine Maxwell's sisters and their software firms doing a lot of work with U.S. intelligence and the FBI, and that list goes on. Where I'm going with this is is that D'Souza's work, in my opinion, is very critical because he's he has centered in on one piece of the puzzle, which is the ballots. Not to be too colorful, if he'd gone all the way and covered everything, it's kind of like when I read books by certain Kennedy researchers or other folks out there in various popular culture topics. I've been reading and talking to people about these topics for years. I've spoken to folks in government about these types of topics for years. And everyone will always kind of come to the same agreement that, like, you can only deal with it in pieces. No one dare write the singular tell-all book on the Kennedy assassination because you're, you're just going to be two smoldering shoes standing on the side of the road. And that, to me, is what would have happened to D'Souza with, with what he was doing. If he had dug into the voting machines, I mean, there's, there's a number of articles and research pieces that have been done in, in foreign countries. And, of course, unfortunately, here in the United States, we tend not to read media from from other parts of the world there's every appearance and every bit of data out there to indicate we've been tipping the scales in other countries elections for years mm. and the thing i was told from a couple of folks that have been close to this topic is is that there's several threads here the first is is that the election itself too often people are left with the impression that it was just about the donald or it was just about the the 2020 election or, or keeping him out or what he was trying to accomplish. The rabbit hole goes much deeper. And the problem is this. He was winning, from what I've been told, so overwhelmingly nationally, they had to use every tool they had. So it meant voting machines. It meant internet connections to various systems. It meant tabulation centers. It meant the media. Uh, it meant that for months they were dropping all of these uh, ballots around the country you know, I've heard the same stories where they'll they'll have a couple of thousand people submitting ballots from the same address in downtown Phoenix. You know, the same sort of thing in, in Wisconsin where you've got multiple addresses that when you check them later, they're condemned buildings. Nobody ever, ever goes out and double-checked on any of that. Nobody was cross-checking any of the signatures. But again, because I've worked with Department of Defense people who are very good in the realm of head fakes, and I often talk about this on my show, we too often will find ourselves getting focused on just one area. We're focusing on the ballots or we're focusing on whoever the, the one company is and their voting machines. And it's like, well, wait a minute. You dig more deeply into the voting machines, you're going to find that they've been using those machines all across Europe. 
and that you have various people across the European spectrum who have been raising questions and doubts about whether or not those machines can be trusted, including South America. The other part of the thing, too, is, is in the United States, we just have two major political parties. In a lot of these other countries, you've got a multi-party system. Fiddling with those elections is a lot easier because it's going to be a uh, cooperative government made up of multiple parties based on how many votes they took or what have you. And it's always, especially like with Italy and other countries, it's a very tenuous hold. The problem in the United States was they had to throw everything at this mm -hmm. to get this national election to go the way it did. But again, what's the real takeaway in my opinion? The real takeaway, in my opinion, is, is that this infrastructure could not have possibly been put in place just for that one election. Some cybersecurity people I've worked with and others, and, and again, the, the folks who were out there in the field doing this work, they've all consistently told me the same thing. It's already there. It's been, you know, one guy told me, he goes, 20 years, minimum. It's been in place for 20 years. You know, and, and his comment was, as he said, what they don't want the public to understand is they've been doing this all across the country for years. It's it, to, terrifying to, if to, you think about it, because that's local, that's federal, that's everything. And they, they had to go all kitchen sink here. So the problem is, is that if you really start digging into this, like D'Souza was doing, then it starts raising a lot of uncomfortable questions nobody wants to deal with. No, it was infuriating. I mean, like I said before, it was no surprises. It, it makes the... Um and at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, I've just got to keep them back in my head. As you said, he's focusing on one particular side here. And a side that was really, I think, downplayed in, in a great way because we were waiting for the Kraken to be released. You know, and, and this, yeah. it, this makes it almost sound like the cryptid that the Kraken, uh, you know, in, uh, mythologically is. But no, I know that there is that aspect. Not to say that the electronic machines weren't confirmed to have network access when they were not supposed to, that we didn't see in places like uh, Arizona, that these logs were tampered with, deleted. We see the dates that it was all happening. It was before or after inquiries into the activity there. But the ground game that was framed by D'Souza, uh, the, the team, was absolutely incredible. I mean, there, there's, there, there's, uh, it just shows how Ruby Freeman is one of tens of thousands if not more um i don't know one thing that's really got me is just watching these people walk up to the ballots and every time i walk see them walk up to the ballots to stuff it i just want to see a doberman pincher just 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 <laughs> leap i want to see a doberman leap into frame every time and just attach itself to its their legs every time i see it these these sons of bitches but um you know what you know what's interesting velas and maybe you can talk about this a little bit it was seeing yet another double-edged sword present itself to all of us, and that is the double-edged sword of data collection. Uh, we've, we've talked about it for a long time now, how the Internet, of course, was, was created in large part by uh, people who wanted us to willfully give up all of our data and uh, pretty much do the spying on the deep state's behalf. But when it comes to data collection, that was another thing we have used the internet against its creators in many ways, and now it's it was pretty amazing to see how precise they were able to net so many of these foot soldiers that they call mules through data collection that is done to us all the time. And, I mean, if that's not actionable intelligence that, that Dinesh D'Souza and his team put together, I don't know what is. Well, and a couple of things about his work. Um, he, I'm trying not to go all 
government speak here. Um, the beauty of what he did is, is that if you really wanted to blow people's minds, you would get into how far down the rabbit hole goes with with um, the voting machines, the way they worked, the way data can be manipulated in real time in that equipment. You know, the media goes away for a lunch, uh, you know, a, a snack break, and comes back, and suddenly we've got completely different returns. The beauty of what D'Souza did, in my opinion, is is that he took a topic that was was again not to be unkind to people, but but took a topic that's pretty straightforward for folks to get their heads around. Here's a bunch of people and their stuff and stuff in these in these uh, either mailboxes or these these dedicated you know depending on what city you were in these dedicated locations to drop off those ballots. And you're absolutely right. We talk about this on, on our show quite a bit, and we've got some rather vigorous conversations going on on our, our Discord channel with a couple of, of our audience people who, who have also you know substantiated themselves of their areas of expertise. We've got one gentleman who's phenomenal when it comes to how the legal system really works and how to really get stuff, stuff done. But the, most people would be shocked to understand how much information is available to you in the public domain. Uh, you know, I've I've had some dealings in the courts, and it's it's stunning. Everything from your mortgage to your not so much who you voted for, although I have a feeling they know that too. But I mean, if you went to your your voting website, uh, that's a classic way to find. Like, if you've got somebody who doesn't want to be found, there's a lot of times you can find them by using your local voting website. You just type in the person's name and and a few address details, and boom, it it pops right out. So. You know, to me, this is a classic thing where D'Souza was able to find a way to get that data about people's cell phone information that the average person, you know, and again, I worked in the telecom industry back in the 90s. There are ways you can buy that data. Now, up until now, I'm still waiting for the legislation to get passed in certain blue states that say you can't do that anymore. But he was able to tap into data that's there. It's just unless, you know, as I often tell my audience, unless you work in certain industries, there's things that sound like black magic in the middle of the night, and it isn't. Um, it's just if you've never worked in that industry, you don't know that it's easy to get your paws on that kind of that kind of detail. So, what D'Souza did in because I've seen the out you know some of the clips and so on. I've read some of the the pieces people have said about about what he covers in there. Um, he took a lot of open source you know information. He didn't have to burn anybody or or put somebody under a non disclosure agreement to try and get some of the the nastier stuff that was going on out there. But he's created a very powerful stepping stone now that can lead to other things if folks want to go in that direction. Mm. Um, I love the the rumor that's that's uh, uh, bouncing around the alternative space these days of people saying that the reason <laughs> that the real reason why we had the uh, uh, Supreme Court disclosure was to distract from D'Souza's uh, documentary. At, at first glance, that's probably not the case. But on the other hand, God knows I've seen stranger things happen in government and the international environment. Anything's possible. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I can't wait to see what more and more people say about it too. As as I said, uh, we'll, we'll be airing it after the show concludes tonight on the on quite frankly TV. So maybe we'll get a little bit more reaction tomorrow night, and you know, you know, whatever. I, I, I'd love to have you back on, so we can do we can do this and and more in, in future shows. But let me ask you that uh, this then, because we're talking about obviously that's something that is a huge threat um, to civilization. And I think up until this point, you mentioned at least 20 years we have we've been completely compromised election wise, at least on, uh, for the the bigger, bigger events and and uh, whatever is going to tip the scales in 
their direction, which is globalization or globalism. And I wanted to I wanted to see what what you think our greatest threat that we're facing right now is, is and are are they any any of them co-equal? I mean, we have the dollar, we have the southern border, we have now um, nuclear war. I mean, um, <laughs> it, 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 and yeah, we blew the dust off. We blew the dust off that one. Welcome back to 1983. It's it's incredible. What's incredible about the nuclear war thing is that nobody, nobody who is there seems to be a uh, a cheering for it, as if there's like a force field around the United States that if there was any kind of a nuclear exchange, it was only going to be very politely done in Eastern Europe or or Russia. That it, it's it's very very everybody's very detached. I think that this is just as serious as the Cuban Missile Crisis. We've been talking about this for a while, but people are very emotionally detached as to what they're asking for with every provocation. So I don't know what what you think the greatest threat that we face right now is uh, the South African the, the, style, well, whatever. Yeah, it's it's uh, every everyone uh, attacks somebody who who says something positive if it doesn't happen exactly the way you said it did. But but if you keep saying the market's going to tank, you look like a genius. Um, there's a number of things out there, and I've been trying to synthesize as best as I can for my audience what what uh, I felt those those are. Um, you know, one of the one of the many hats I wore in my past life. One of the things I did for uh, a Department of Defense Research Group was I had responsibility for critical infrastructure protection planning, uh, and you know, subject matter expertise and various what if scenarios. You know, what do we do if we lose the power grid? We don't even have to get into North Korea. Just what do we do if we you know have a solar flare or what have you? Um, Boy, there's some scary crap there that'll keep you up late at night if you ever look through some of these pieces of research <laughs> folks folks have done. People have asked me for years to move out of the Midwest and, and take jobs in, on the east or the west coast, and it's like, I really I really love the shore, and I, I uh, certainly wish you and your family all the safety possible there in New York. Thanks. But the coastal the coastal regions are, are can get dicey. Um, We've got too many people that have forgotten what a real major exchange militarily would look like. Um, you know, it's like some of my manufacturers, when they're trying to deal with new types of manufacturing, and I'm leading a workshop and asking them, well, what, what's the end state you're looking for? They're like, we don't, we don't know. The people that used to do this for us all died in the 1980s. You know, we don't, we don't even know how to do that anymore. Um, there's always been a perception the United States is not going to get touched. But then if you deal with the world I tend to believe exists, because I've had dealings with it, when you start getting into various elites and what they're after, um, it's the normal things that people have been talking about on your program and other, other folks in the alternative space. We've got severe risks to the food supply. We have severe risks to, uh, when I say the power grid, we have to remember the United States is comprised of multiple grids. So even if you lost the Northeast, no harm, no foul to all of you up in that neck of the woods, you know, we would still have the Southeast grid unless something, something happened there. Um, but um, we could have spillover uh, out of Ukraine. And candidly, you know, much like our border, <laughs> I say border problem, but evidently it's not a problem anymore. We're just having a everything must go sale and letting everybody across the, across the border. Um, Europe, contrary to what you may believe, they want as much cheap labor as they can get their hands on as possible. And that, frankly, um, 
is one of the reasons why they were bringing in so many people out of North Africa and Syria. But they've had a lot of trouble with those folks acclimating to European society. The, the uh, again, no, no unkindness meant on my part, but the French are reeling with trying to understand why, why all of these people from, from other lands don't want to be a part of the French experience and just kind of stay in their own neighborhoods. Um, bringing in Ukrainians would work great. I mean, that's an aspect of this that hasn't really been discussed much, is, is that as more and more people are escaping Ukraine, and certainly the numbers are in the millions, um, those folks would work a lot better, you know, in lower-cost jobs that the Europeans need filled uh, than, they, than they have. A lot of friends of mine in Europe actually, actually jokingly but seriously, are kind of frustrated that, that we in the United States have this really great asset on the, on the border with Mexico that we can just get as many low-cost labor people as we need. But they've got to deal with people that that have a tendency to cause violence in their countries. Once well, they that's move there. Good. that's got to be a really detached detached people have to have that, that kind of a an, an outlook. Just because it, it, it's not this is not a, an, an advantageous thing for us. It really it, it, every wave takes something away altogether, and I I just that that you want to talk about disaster capitalism. That's just uh, that's the the thing that really gets me. I, I the the average Frenchman, French woman, the average person in Sweden, they must really be reeling as to what happened, what happened to the place they grew up in. Uh, maybe they they should have been asking the questions a little bit sooner. But there are just those who are several rungs above them in the social ladder that probably looked at this as a as a really great you know uh, windfall of labor coming from. You know, the unsuspecting North Africa and the Middle East that didn't think about the crime and the assimilation problems and everything else. But, uh, yeah, no, it's it, it, it's I mean, we given have a- the sheer yeah, given the sheer volume of especially like with Germany, Merkel had her hands full trying to keep the lid on that one. I think probably the best data point that's available out there with publicly available information is um, Sweden, Norway and Finland. Uh, they're very homogenous societies like Japan, uh, without the kind of <laughs> superiority complex Japan has sometimes. But um, they're they're violently struggling uh, with trying to manage this this influx. And the United States, it's a, it's a complicated history. It's a painful history. We've been struggling with cheap labor. Everything from the the period of slavery to to your relatives and mine. I mean, you know, your your folks coming over from the Mediterranean and my mine coming from Eastern Europe uh, here to the United States and setting up shop. The United States has struggled, but has usually succeeded in trying to in, include these folks into our society. There's there's usually a lot of growing pain that goes along with it. We usually are able to find a way through it, but in the near term. Our globalist overlords, as I like to jokingly call them, or our feudal feudal overlords, um, you know, I've seen, you know, I used to, one of the outfits I worked with uh, a number of years ago, I had a number of dealings with the Carlisle Group, and, you know, big private equity outfit, they're, they're on par with BlackRock and Vanguard and some of these others, and those, those folks are operating on a completely different planet. I mean, they, the way they view the world, the way they view each other, the way they view... The future is is literally like trying to talk to somebody from another planet. They're just they're just you know it's not better than worse than they're they're just so isolated and in this echo chamber of their own wealth and power that they're unable to internalize 
you know, they used to ask me questions all the time when I was flying home from D.C. about how are things out there in the Midwest? You know, and I would look at them and say, what? Are you waiting for the pitchforks and the, the, the mob to start? Because this was back in 2008 when the economy hit the tank and we had that, you know, kind of small depression. And I'm looking at them saying, well, well you guys are the Lord's order. You have all this data. And they're like, well, on the one hand, we don't even care. But if there's going to be, you know, and I said, what, a mutiny? And they're like, well, I guess you could call it that. But, like, you know, do you think they're going to start marching on Washington? And I'm like, you don't know? This is stunning. You're, you're, you're asking mm. me to go back to the Midwest and give you a field report on, on whether or not the public has reached a level of anger that's sufficient that they're going to start marching on people here in Washington. But the, but the truth of it is, is if you were in the bars in Washington, D.C., if you were at the old Ebbett Grill across from the White House, if you were at the, the W Hotel, if you were at a couple other places there on K Street where all the lobbyists hang out, the fear was palpable in, from the in staff of Congress people and senators. They were terrified. This is 08. And, of course, what was the, what was the number one takeaway? It, their, their people had, they had no idea what to do. They didn't know what to do. They were praying to God, Powell, and the rest of the guys at the, at the Federal Reserve and others would be able to, quote, unquote, figure it out. But their, their constituents, there were a couple of elected officials. I can't name them on the air. But there were a couple of elected officials who, whose staff told me in bars in D.C. that it's like they can't go back to their district. The Secret Service has flat out said, we can't protect you. That's 2008, and I, you know, to your, to your original question, I look at what we're dealing with in 2022, I, I almost have to wonder if any of them feel safe enough to go back to go back to their districts, because if I was them, I don't know that I'd, I'd want to do that. Well, I think, I think that, that might be the biggest, uh, one of the biggest reasons why they are so willy-nilly about the idea of, of running headfirst. I mean, why the hell else? Would you have um, any 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 a part of our intelligence our intelligence services going because you know it's all been approved from the higher ups going to NBC to brag in the news about how our intelligence has taken down Russian flagships in a war that we're not supposed to be involved in? I I I, re- I just really believe that it, it, if they can just bring the entire roof down. The chaos inside of that just might be enough for them to walk away, talk about how, say some lie about how we were just starting to turn the corner with the economy, but then the world started melting, and we got to do this together, and uh, you know, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. So I, that, that's just what my my gut tells me, and then I'm someone who has no, no inside sources to anything, but um, it would it would also. And we got to talk about this in the next time that you come on, because it's a big topic on this show, and that is the future, the singularity, uh, transhumanism, because it's a gigantic part in this so-called series of resets that is all kind of merging into one giant reset. And it, it would make a little bit more sense there, too, just from a, a psychological, a, a character profile standpoint when you talk about those who have been detached of you know what what are the people in the midwest thinking or what's the average person in germany thinking and uh and then you see the the kind of the weasels that they have going on out there for like ted talks and stuff talking about the idea of well perhaps we can we can uh we can genetically engineer humans to be smaller and to be (laughs) we can we can engineer them fit the overhead much better on the airline yeah yeah i I remember one well and and you know, you, I mean, for those of you listening to, to uh, Frank and I chat here, you know, my original topic we were going to cover until the 2000 Mules um, 
thing took took some precedence is I was going to share with all of you a, a prior program I had done on my show back on the, the 28th of January that dealt with transhumanism, Bill Gates, Jeff Epstein, a number of different, shall we say, you know, players out there you might not think have been working together for years. And, the you know, the transhumanism thing, I mean, that that's basically eugenics 2.0 for any of you who know what what eugenics is. And that is some scary stuff. I think, you know, there, there's an, uh, there's a defense organization that hosts a number of conferences uh, called AFCEA, A-F-C-E-A. I used to attend a number of their, you know, they've got some that are, are open. You can just attend. They've got others where you've got to have a security clearance to go there. Um, I attended one of their conferences back in 2009, 2010 out in Colorado Springs. And stunningly, there were people there from foreign militaries. We were dealing with a wide variety of topics on, on conflict. And I've, I've talked to my, my audience a number of times about the, what I'm about to say. And I'm sitting in a room and I've got my laptop open and I'm, I'm quietly taking my notes and things because I had to go back to my, my major defense contractor and, and let them know what, what was covered and which speaker said what and should we find that person later to you know hire them to do some work for us, whatever it might be. And after we got done talking about water and borders and ethnic differences and every other possible, you know, master's, Ph.D., academic program on what causes conflict in the world or, you know, articles in, in uh, public magazines or websites or what have you, the number one thing that everyone on this primary panel of experts was discussing was the world's population. There wasn't a single other topic. I mean, they were like, yeah, <laughs> Russia's unhappy about some stuff. Uh, China's a little cranky. They'd like Taiwan back. Um, South Africa is about to go back into kit form here. Uh, it looks like the whole, the whole thing down there is going to fall apart. But none of that really mattered to them because to them, everything, food, natural resources, the global economy, the list goes on. The only thing these experts felt is the number one risk, the number one cause of all issues is the world's population. And then the discussion, like you're sitting around having a couple of beers with friends, uh, except most of the people on this panel have at least two PhDs, with all of these defense people in the room. You know, I'm looking around behind me. I'm looking at the doors behind me, like wondering where the guards are with the little banners going across the door that says no foreign personnel should be in this room. And... Um, they're just discussing very openly, you know, well, you know, war is a problem because, you know, and everyone's just nodding. Mm, yes, we would blow up a lot of infrastructure. Somebody suggested a pandemic. This is 2010. Somebody suggested a pandemic and that didn't go over well. Cause it's like, well, even if we, even if we could be inoculated, um, you know, if we start removing the little people, uh, the damn thing might mutate and then where the hell would we be? And so what was equally frightening about this discussion was one of the panelists from, I think, Singapore, he looked at everybody and said, well, I think there's a lot of exciting lessons that we've learned after the 2008 economic collapse. And the moderator's like, well, please expound upon that. And he says, well, uh, look at so many people uh, across the international environment willingly not having children. And the suicide rates have really gone up of people that are so despondent over the state of the international economy that they just feel there's no hope. This is, this is really, we should study this further. I'm, I'm looking at a colleague from the firm I'm working with going, 
did we die in a car accident this morning and this is just a joke by God? Or am I actually sitting here hearing this this shit? And he's, he's like, uh, they do this all the time. I got to tell you, Velas, this, this, this is my biggest problem with the whole, the whole population thing is I always wonder we know uh, there's no there's no doubt about it they want far less people on the planet but uh there is no population crisis in the western hemisphere i mean in the west in western society or what's left of it we're not having children we're not having children the, the uh, america all of the european countries nobody is even replacing their populations anymore that's why whenever they they pass down these ridiculous these ridiculous narratives and these ridiculous mantras to Western do-gooder uh, altruistic liberals that are so altruistic they're suicidal themselves, they always talk about uh, the world all being overpopulated when it's such a racist thing that they're saying for being anti-racist because the only ones having babies are in, are in Africa and in the Middle East. Though they're the only people whose populations are growing steadily, if not in... in you know big big numbers we are shrinking so what are what are what the hell are their plans I, just answer that last question because i'd like to come back and do a <laughs> do a do a big a big thing on transhumanism and everything else so uh, just on that question what are the plans because there is no need to depopulate the united states and europe just as long as you stop illegal immigration <laughs> And all the migrant crises that they're trying to dump people from the third world into our into our countries over our home uh, lands over here, then I mean we we would have evaporated in a couple of generations. So what exactly are they talking about? I, I don't get it. It's it's a very fair question. It's a very fair question. And um, and and, <laughs> and remember, those aren't illegal immigrants. Those those are just uh, untracked persons uh, coming across the border. Gotcha. Um, the United States has always had kind of a wink and a nod about our our population. Is what I was alluding to earlier, and, and God knows I've you know written a number of papers on this at a, in grad school and so on. Um, we've been able to get the people we need. You know, I mean, I know a lot of people of of deep faith will often say, you know, the United States was blessed by God because of the location we're in. Um, whether that's the case or not, the, the simple facts are we're blessed with location. You know, we have a very powerful northern neighbor, but with a population the size of Minnesota, we have a very populous neighbor on our southern border who will never be a major, at least military threat to us politically in the next 20, 30 years. That might change. But the 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 folks out there talking about these things and I know I know some of you all out there listening to today's show might might be tempted to believe, well, these are just a bunch of academics or these are just a bunch of foreign policy people, you know, kicking or kicking around certain ideas. Yeah, that was the case until the World Economic Forum really started getting some mileage under their tires. And the same thing with the IMF and the World Bank and, you know, the Bilderberger Organization and the Council on Foreign Relations, who are all very legitimate groups have been in place a long time. But their their leadership and their policy people who, you know, because it's like whenever one of these incredibly wealthy billionaires comes up with an idea, trust me, they've got a number of people under them that are very skilled at figuring out how you make that happen. So... To your question about the population, now we're getting into Catherine Austin Fitz and other people like that, that if you shift to a digital economy, you don't need as many people. Because the reason why we needed such a large population, and again, not to get too crazy with, with academic ideas about the free market and so on, one of the challenges, shall we say, with, with most, I don't like using the word capitalism because that's a Marxist term, but one of the challenges with, with the free market, even going back to, to its foundations, 
was the model, if you will, requires us to keep growing the global population because you need consumers. And of course, in the case of Japan right now and certain other countries, the other big concern is we have growing elderly populations and we need a, a large number of people to support that system through Social Security and other entitlements. But that is, and that, that goes to one of the topics I've covered many times on my program, that is unless we completely change the global economic model. And that's what they're doing. Okay. Uh, Britain, Britain Woods is gone. It, it exploded on the tarmac probably the late 1980s, definitely by the mid-1990s. It's, it's gone. We've just been kind of walking along the way we used to do it, hoping to God we can hold this shit storm together. Now, we could have gone with a number of different economic models, but somehow, some way, and I'm speaking rather loosely, these people have decided they want to go with this digital economic model. And based on that, you need a handful of a cadre of society in most of the Western nations, Japan, China, the United States. You need a couple of countries who can supply you labor wherever their labor needs to go. If you, if you dig into, and I'm talking about like the Rand Corporation and some of these think tanks, you read some of these people's papers, man, they, they, <laughs> the word cattle comes to mind. They view the populations of South America and Africa as just like, oh, are you building a big you know, bridge or whatever in some particular country or we're building another channel. You know, how, how many people are you going to need from a, a labor force standpoint? We'll just move them across the border. And this all kind of gets back into Cecil Rhodes and all his stuff yeah. in Africa where they, they viewed labor as just something you moved it around the world wherever the hell you need it to go. But no, they genuinely believe that um, the other the other consideration for them is is that is that the world's population at the size it is right now leads to instability. Now, they've been kicking these ideas around since 1848 and a lot of, you know, big philosophers from back in that era. And 1848 was the key year because there were revolutions that broke out all across Europe and various monarchies were terrified and the list goes on. But they've been, it's like a computer program that just won't let go. They, they keep work, they've been working this for 200 years and they just won't let it go. That it's like we've we've got to treat, we have a handful of us that are making decisions, and then we got a cadre of people underneath us that deploy what we tell them to do, and then there's just the mob. I mean, it's it's almost like the Roman Empire. You're either you're either part of the patrician class, or you're you're part of the proletariat, or you're just a slave. And we're getting dangerously close to. I mean, I've got a, an attorney friend of mine who's kind of on the left, and we're good friends, but they've been doing some work for people that are, are coming across the border and so on. And I said, look, I know your heart goes out to these people and what they're dealing with. I said, unfortunately, I've dealt with human rights issues for 20, 30 years. You know, if you really want me to keep you up at night, let's talk about the Congo. But my comment was, you do understand that given the sheer volume of people coming into the United States now across our southern border, these people are completely exploitable. I mean, you know, regardless of my own personal beliefs or what have you, or the governance of law or whatever it might be, these people are completely exploitable. They they have no recourse to use our legal system. They don't even know what our legal system is. Mm. They can be exploited at will. And I hate to go there. It's not conspiratorial. It just simply is. This isn't happening unless somebody wants it to happen. And, and George Friedman, the... I love Friedman's work. He's very, very good. You know, in one of Friedman's books, or for many of his books, the last 10 years, he keeps preaching this idea that the people who want free, unregulated labor globally are better organized and have more money 
than the people who are trying to enforce the rule of law when it comes to following the immigration law as it is, not just in the United States, but, but globally. So... I think it's a uh, it's it's a it's an amazing. I, I mean, from there we could have branched off into several. I, I was really uh, exercising some self control over here because we could have gone into <laughs> so many different places. But it's a it, it's just testament to you know how how complex is everything everything is, and you do a very good uh, good job at laying it out there and, and opening up uh, new doorways of discussion. I appreciate it so much, v- Velas. What what is your what is the um, uh, what's the time of your weekly broadcast? How can people find you and uh, let everybody know how to how to keep up with uh, your work? Everybody's over there. Really, really great uh, sure. group of guys. I like you guys. Yeah. Well, and I, uh, uh, I, you know, you may recall I, I uh, first reached out to you one night when you were on the doing one of your shows, and I, I said, hey, I'm one of the folks over here at Rogue News, and. Just wanted to say hi, and you're doing great tonight. And I've got nothing else to say. And and you 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 said something on the air like, well, "That's great." It's like a neighbor stopping by, going, "Hey, just wanted to say how yeah. are you doing." Um, we you can find us on a website that's www.roguenews.com. Uh, we also broadcast on uh, Twitch. Uh, we've got a, a site on Twitter. Um, we're also on D Live. Some of the similar places where where you are Frank, and then uh, Rumble. Um, my program is on 11 o'clock, uh, Eastern us time, um, on Fridays, except, <laughs> except this Friday, because the last two weeks I'm so worn out from the, the content I've been, I've been, uh, producing, um, I did a, a, to an earlier topic you were covering tonight. I did a, I did a 12 point discussion on, on a lot of unknowns around stem cells gotcha. and, uh, after that bit of research, my brain needs a break. But yeah, Fridays at 11 is usually when I'm there. Uh, my colleagues V and CJ usually do a show um, Monday through through Friday. Um, we've got Harley Schlanger from uh, the LaRouche, uh, the good the good LaRouche group, not the the, the other one, the, not the neocon version of that. Uh, Harley is usually on after me at noon on Fridays. We've got a gentleman named Gus Demas. Uh, or the, his program's called Cuss with Gus. You may you may want to turn the volume down a bit. He's very colorful, but uh, Gus is a, a guy who specializes in like uh, everything from like mining, crypto stocks, things of that nature. He's been in that business a very very long time. Um, you can even find Gus on on YouTube. He's got some videos out there. And then and then our other uh, the Real Brain Trust. I always joke with this the following guy because he's. He does the kind of work I used to do in grad school, and I always joke with with uh, his name's Matthew Arrett, um, and he runs a website called the Canadian Patriot. He does a show with us uh, every Tuesday afternoon, uh, unless you know something pops up. But uh, Matthew is also a uh, uh, he's also a visiting professor at uh, the American University in Moscow, and uh, Matthew has certainly opened my eyes to a number of topics that that even I've never had the chance to dig into. In fact. We're, we're trying right now to kick around an idea of how Matthew and I can can co-produce uh, a piece of a piece of work. Um, we're still trying to figure out what the topic might be, but but uh, it'll come. Yeah, so it's it's really awesome to have had the chance to come on uh, the show tonight, Frank. I I really enjoy the work you do. I I used to remember catching you on Saturdays when you and your buddies were just smoking cigars in the backyard. <laughs> I'm like, this is my kind of person. Yeah, yeah. No, I I'd love to do that again. To I I, I mean. I sometimes go back there with my uh, with my own cigars and and whatnot, but uh, it's not. Uh, we'll we'll see how many I can organize. Everybody's got girlfriends now, so we don't see anybody anymore. 
And uh, uh, well, yeah, yeah. I, I remember I remember those days. Well, and the other thing too, and I and I mean this sincerely. Whether it's Mike Moore, true pundit, whether it's Catherine Austin Fitz, whether it's Brendan O'Connell, whether it's Polly, um, or you, you know, I've many times on my shows will tell my audience, you know, uh, hey, uh, Frank had a, had a guest this week who was focused on this area. If you get a chance, go go watch that broadcast. It was really good. Here's some takeaways from Frank's show. I appreciate uh, that. Hey, caught caught Polly's program. You know, and much like yourself, I've reached out to Polly a couple of times. I mean, God, I. That girl is a saint, and I just am so thankful they didn't they didn't run her run her down. She has done such amazing work. I love the fact that she had to post on her her website recently, where folks were like, "Who does your audio visual?" and and uh, who's secretly provide you? Know, and I'm getting visions of like what Mike Moore does, where he's got people standing out on a street corner in Philadelphia, going, "I was never here. Here's the Manila envelope." Right. But where Polly <laughs> Polly had to basically tell her audience, "Hey, uh, it's me." Uh, I, I do audiovisual work. That's why the PowerPoints look so good. And, and uh, I think it's scary sometimes. It kind of goes back to, to one of our earlier points on tonight's discussion where when folks understand, you know, it's, it's I had a neighbor come to me one time and ask me a question where he was nervous about some topic. And I said, well, here's some websites you can go to. And it'll, you probably are going to want to bounce this off of a VPN and, and uh, use a university server to get to this location. But if you're interested in that topic, you can go here and the guy kind of looked at me kind of nervously and looked left, looked right, and he goes, uh, it's, so, like, is this stuff classified? And I, I like, didn't be, want to be unkind to him, but I started laughing, and I said, shit, no. If, <laughs> if I told you what was classified, you'd never leave your house. You, yeah. you would yeah, never see, want to that, go that's the, that's the thing that always, always happens. Every once in a while, you move along down the road, and we ta- start talking about this stuff. I, e- even though I know I don't get anything, I'm looking at, I'm just using my imagination a lot of times, and I have to project if I if if I'm if I'm a devious arch villain of of humanity, what would I be doing right now? And and I really just combine that and uh, my normal consumption of media, and I just put things together, and then we start recognizing patterns, and we read history, and we and we just uh, we do a lot of assuming. I would never. I would never want an inside man, an inside woman. I would never want it. I just want because ultimately, all I want to do is go home at night and just and and just wait, just be with my family. That's all I want. Right. So I mean, so I understand that it's a it, there's there's well, and it's it's also why it's also why Mike, you know, Mike Moore. I had somebody ask me one time, well, you know, is this Mike Moore guy full of crap? And I said, no, I read his book. But then again, he's and got said, he's I, got a career. He had a career inside. He's, well, it. he's yeah. in a different, you know, and it's, it's like a lot of the folks that are out there. He's, he's in a different, you know, and I once went on one of my shows. I went through a couple of the different He worked, shows, he like, worked in that field. Your, your, your program and said, this is t- typically what these folks focus on. But, you know, the thing with Moore, I mean, I read his book and I, I went to the, the federal website. And again, this is all public domain. I went to the court website and I looked up the case the feds brought against him and all this shit. And of course, you know, he's, he's being about as honest as a person can be, which is they threatened his kid. And it was like, at that point, he's like, if I live through this, it's game on. And it's, it's, it, you know, he's, he's kind of got that G Gordon Liddy kind of attitude about it where it's like, I was willing to let you buy me off, but, but now it's personal. Um, other people, it's a, it's a passion thing. You know, that's definitely Polly. Uh, Catherine lived it. You know, and she she sees the writing on the wall, and and Brendan, 
Uh, O'Connell, I've discovered him recently. There's a, there's a whole host of people I've I've got out there whose whose content I check out. But I mean, like with Brendan, you know, he got locked up in in Australia for three years. Um, he ran afoul of Israel and some other stuff. And in like Ryan Dawson, I think you know about Ryan. He's out there in Japan. Mm-hmm. I mean, I joke with my audience all the time where I'm like, Ryan is so hot, he had to leave the country. The guy can't even come back. But you know, one of the other things too that that I've done on my show, and I've got to do it again here, is is just uh, I've walked my audience a couple times through. Here are these websites, and here's how you know. And here's an index. So depending on what you're looking for, what you're trying to research, here's here's where you go. Here are these foreign countries that that have data that you can't even get in the United States anymore because they won't let you have it. So for folks that are interested, you know, there's that's that's available. But yeah, I totally. Moore is operating in a world where he's willing to deal with people, and, and God love him for it. Uh, he's willing to deal with people that are willing to take the risk. But again, you know, kind of like I would start a Tonight Show, he's built a reputation for himself because none of the people that have come to him have been burned. And he will often say, I got some stuff right now, I can only share half of it with you because if I give you the rest, they are going to be able to figure out where I got there's it. Only, so there's only so many places. No, I, I completely understand. And, that, and still one of my big, big bucket list well, I would love to make her a recurring guest, at least maybe once or twice a year. But I have tried so hard to get to get uh, Catherine Austin fit. So one day, I, I just keep my fingers crossed. She, I, I appreciate her work so much. I really do. But um, that it, it, it's, well, like, it's the, like the Zellers. You've had the Zellers on, and the, the Zellers are just absolutely to quote from the movie uh, Swingers. Those guys are just money. But I mean, how many times on your show have they said, you know, and that's as far as we can go with that? We really, we really want to tell the audience what what really happened up there at, at Penn State, but we just we can't go past this point. You well, know, a lot of people in this audience, you, know, all, you you opened up talking about people like Danny Casolaro and all that. Uh, a lot of people, there, there are a sizable number of people in this audience who's only ever heard that name because of the Zell brothers. They come on and and talk about the work that people like he had done, and and uh, you know we go. It, I, I those are the nights that I walk out of. I always say those are the nights I walk out of the studio looking over my shoulder because it's just too creepy. But uh, <laughs> but you know, like I said, whatever. It's just that. But roguenews.com. Velez, I can't wait to have you back. Thank you for everything tonight, my friend, and uh, and I, I wish you nothing but the best. I appreciate it. All the best to you and the family. Thanks again for having me on. All right, take care. There you go, Velez, ladies and gentlemen. That was a long time in the in the making. A long time in the making. I mean, it's just, I don't know. We just have him put a date on the on the uh, schedule. Oh, and of course, and then we put the date on the schedule. I think Velez was one of the guys that I had to cancel because of the flu. So what was another couple of weeks? Anyway, Rogue News. I've been on, I've been on their channel with uh, CJ and Gorilla V. Been on with them twice, and they're very cool. Because I think they're transplants from from the tri-state area over here. I believe that they're transplants. They went to the Midwest. So we have some New York-y things to talk about. Well, give a shit. All right. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, we will be right back. I can't wait to go into your super chats. I have some extra things that we can do. We have a half hour before we end the show, and then I encourage you all to go to quitefrankly.tv for a group viewing of uh, 2,000 mules. So we will at least have a base as to what we are all referencing in, in future future discussions. Like I said, it's not, it, this is uh, for, if there are any normies out there, 
that get put in front of this and they actually wait it out, this is for them. Even for those of us who had the, the that pit in our stomach feelings back in November of 2020, we knew exactly what was going. We knew what was being built up in the news leading up there. We knew that they were going to try. How many times prior to November of 2020, you know, somebody would say, "Well, Frank, what do you think? You think uh, Trump's going to win?" They'll they'll ask in a super chat or something like that. And and oh, I'll tell you, people in my my life, you know, you go to a an event or something, and you have family members there, and somebody who you know pulls you aside, you know, an uncle, a cousin, they'll ask you, "So what do you think is going to happen?" I say, "Well." It's really just a matter of can he do better than what's going to be thrown at him in the fraud efforts. That's the only thing there is. He's not running. He does not have. uh, There's no opponent. There's no opponent. So over the last couple of years, we've been able to read things coming out from like Matt DiPerno in in Michigan. We've been able to see what was going on in Arizona. We've been able to see all of the work just the basic mathematical work coming out from people like uh um what's his name uh, how many facets this is another facet but it is a thick layer thick layer especially since everything that they the 2000 mules it, it really i guess the whole point of that is that it's 2000 off the top they went to the most egregious examples as you will see with how they 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 dig down into the data and they recat they really focus in on a certain category in the data that were so egregious these are 2000 of the worst offenders these are people as you will see who they were able to track down as to having um uh put at least 5 to 10 ballots in a piece that visited at least 50 polling locations a night. I mean, the the worst. You'll see. I'll, I'll be sitting there with you. I won't be saying anything, though, because I'll be eating. But we will be right back. A little bit of an intermission, and then we will be wrapping this one up in style. Welcome to Intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Yeah, Intermission. Quite frankly. 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 
Quite frankly. Quite frankly. Quite frankly. Quite frankly. Quite frankly. Quite frankly. Quite frankly. Quite frankly. Quite frankly. Quite frankly. We all support quite frankly. Not quite. Let's go, Brandon. I agree. Quite frankly. In Roma, Italia. Quite frankly. You going on Frank's show tonight? I really like you. You're very smart. So everybody watch. Quite frankly. With Frank. Quite frankly. Okay, let's see what the mailbox brings us. Lenny Kinney. Oh, boy. I feel like I haven't read a super chat from Lenny Kinney in a long time. Hello, Lynn. Just a silly little love token. Well, thank you so much. It's wonderful to see you again. Always great to see people popping up in the super chats, leaving little love tokens. Doc Keck says, if children have the right to choose their gender, absent any parental influence, how much more so the right to choose to live up to that point? I am now pro-choice. Always dropping those mind benders. Already getting a lot of very, very positive feedback on the guest appearance by Velez. People calling him a galaxy brain. Velez for the win. A couple of emails coming in. Already very happy with that. Love to have him back. It's good to be able to have those talks. Uh, spooky. The spookier the talks, the, the better. And of course, like I said before, when he's reading off all of his uh, his background, I said, all right, well, I guess I, gotta, I just better put this out there. Why should we trust you? DOD, DHS. But then again, you know, uh, it's just a conversation, right? But I th- I had a good time, and that uh, that was very agreeable for me. Larkstar444 says, Thank you for offering the mules in After Show, as I prefer this group support. I prefer this group while viewing it. Yes, it'll be a good time. Great, great company. Always makes the experience better. And remember, we have to put out a informational video that we can put up on the website or something I can uh, that we can actually play during the extended uh, programming on, quite frankly, the after show. But you should be able to cast anything on Foxhole to your smart TV. Uh, you can do the the screen share if you are in uh, if you use Apple products, or you could also just do. I think it's even easier with Android. So remember, you don't have to be watching on a computer or on a laptop or anything like that. You can cast it. We have to make some of those informational instructional videos that to put into the um, into the rotation there. Actually, last night. I had a really great time putting together the stuff for last night because I do the Sunday night 
programming, the nightcap for the programming. You want to hear what we had on last night? First of all, I found an eight-minute-long documentary, a, a, a docu-short about Chock Full of Nuts. I found it, and it was so awesome. Chock Full of Nuts, the Heavenly Coffee, Life in America, and it was really interesting. It's really interesting to learn that the coffee has nothing to actually do with nuts. And after a while, they actually have to say there are no nuts in the coffee for people who wouldn't buy it because they thought that they'd have an allergy. It was all about chock full of nuts, these stands, these food stands. And one of their signature sandwiches was like cream cheese. It's like a, like cream cheese and uh, roasted uh, nuts or almonds, walnuts, something like that on cinnamon raisin bread. Which sounds amazing. And other it was a sandwich stand, but they they sold sandwiches and coffee. And uh, it was really interesting. It's only eight minutes long. That was a fun time last night. You can go watch the rerun on on Pilled or quite frankly TV right there in the uh, the reruns tab. Then we talked about uh, let's see here. The Great Reflexes in MLB History. That was fun. Why literally me characters are so important. Um, Let's see here. What else? Oh, Bright Insight. Another one from Bright Insight. The 1878 image of ancient Egypt's mysteriously destroyed lost capital of Tanis will shock you. That was great. I was actually in the shower when that was broadcasting. So what I did was I took my iPad... And I put it on the edge of the tub, which was right behind the um, the shower curtain. So as I'm showering and all that stuff, I was watching, quite frankly, TV after uh, 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 on Sunday night. Very cozy. So I stayed in the shower for maybe like 30 minutes more and just w- watched shit. There's a little bit of from Kyle Dunnigan, which I is like one of my favorite comedy channels on the internet. Uh, Stoicism. Stoicism in the movie Gladiator. This is a wonderful film. Wonderful. Uh, it's probably like 11 minutes long. All of the wisdom, it's, it's told through meditations, Marcus Aurelius meditations. All of the stoic principles that show up in the movie Gladiator. And it inspired me. It inspired me. To where now, I think that what we're going to do... I don't know if we're going to start from the beginning of Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. But we are definitely going to start doing some passages from Meditations throughout the week. Maybe at the end of every show. Or if it's just a show that I I want to detach so completely that we're just going to read through these passages and take calls. And see what what rings, uh, rings a bell. So... That got me inspired. We're going to be doing a lot more. We're going getting back to stoicism again. And then the night owl block last night, which is always what I put on late, that goes deep into the night, usually ends around 3 in the morning Eastern time, so it gives the West Coasters something to get to midnight. Um, and then one day it'll be 24 hours, but I can't do this on my uh, on my own. We have to... Little, that has to be a little bit more group coordinated. But the night owl block that came after the end credits... Paranormal stories all night, including a July 13th, 2015 Open Lines show, Art Bell, Paranormal Stories. It was good. It was very good. I stayed up as long as I could, but uh, 
The soul was willing, but the body was weak. What can I say? All right. Into Pilled we go. <clears throat> More of the chat from there. And there's quite a bit of people in there, so let's just... Let's do this and run right through. Thank you, Bill Smith. Paulie says, nice old blues. Yes, lead belly. Dr. Hoffman, thank you. Shout out to the Franklies and Mystery Ship Sailors. Chuck Todd is a total loser. General Flynn is being uh, docked $30,000 off his pension over his Russia visit. Such BS. They gave him the okay. That's all from Dr. Hoffman. Uh, Empress bitch to you. Thank you so much. Sean Joe, thank you. Thank you. Uh, C. Blanche, Dr. Hoffman again, an abortion is not reproductive care. Um, and oh no, another severe winter of illness and death. Robert Sarns, thank you, Robert. Hope you are well out there. C. Branch again, or C. Blanche, I should say. Um, let's see. Sumter. Sumter, awesome guest, Frank. Yeah, it was a great guest. I had a lot of fun time with that. Dr. Hoffman, thank you for such a great guest. Velas knows his stuff. Man, uh, Manamaran, uh, Mananon, oh, wait, Manamanon says another great guest. And there you have it. There you have it. A lot of, a lot of great things going on there and some good feedback. Here's something from a note, a production note from Nikki, Nikki Solis, chat room mod, Supreme. She said that the new lava lamps are called Lonnie and Lorelei. Lauren is going to like that, the Lorelei, because she watches um, Gilmore Girls. So I have picked up along the way most people's names. So I have to imagine that Lonnie is the blue and Lorelai is uh, this sassy purple and uh, pink chick. She goes on to say, may they never fall to the same Xanax addiction that took Larry, Louise, and Lenny. Wow. No, Larry was taken by a friend of mine, an Indian giver. Larry was, was hijacked. An Indian giver friend took him from us all. Louise and Lenny, they had Xanax addictions. Oh, I'm glad that uh, Lorelai is starting to, to, to gurgle and burp over here because it was stagnant for a while. I said, what the hell's going on? She's brand new. Okay. Here's something I want to bring up. There was a headline. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to make a thread about this, but I want to put this out there. A headline was from DNYUZ.com. Goodwill sold a bust. Not the bust you're thinking about. Nor I. Sold a bust for $34.99. It's an ancient Roman relic. So we're talking about a, a, uh, a marble head. I don't know if it actually goes down to the shoulders. Laura Young was browsing through a Goodwill store in Austin, Texas in 2018 when she found a bust for sale. It was resting on the floor under a table and had a yellow price tag slapped on it for 35 bucks. She bought it. Turns out it wasn't just another heavy stone curio suit suitable for plunking in the garden. It was an actual Roman bust from the late 1st century BC or early 1st century AD. 
which has been part of a Bavarian king's art collection from the 19th century until it was looted during World War II. How it got to Texas remains a mystery, but the most likely path suggests it was taken by an American soldier after the Bavarian king's villa in Germany was bombed by Allied forces. There's a fire sale, you can say. Um, so why do I bring this up? Well, it's a cool story. It's history-based, but I also just want to put on out there that if anybody has any stories like this, okay, I'm not going to turn it into a thread. So if you hear this, if you hear me, you get on the email and you email me, quite frankly, podcast at gmail.com. Uh, I would love to see what bounces back. Have you any stories like this? Have you f- stories of finding a treasure in a trash heap? You know, I'll even accept stories about incredible things you have found metal detecting. Um, because that would be, that would be interesting. You know, this is a, an ancient Roman piece, a bust that was being sold for $35 in Austin, Texas. Can you imagine that? All the things that this thing has seen and it was underneath the table with one of those cheap yellow price stickers on its right cheek. What a disgrace. Um, I don't know if you watched the Kentucky Derby over the weekend, but I did. I sat down with uh, Lauren and my mom and Aurora, and and, uh, Aurora really loved the horses. And she she was getting all excited, and then, you know, we took turns bouncing her on our knees as the horses were going around, and then finally, it was, it was, incre- it was incredible because as the horses were taking their places, and we we're seeing all the odds, and Rich Strike came up, I said, damn, 80 to 1 odds, if I were a betting man, and I had the disposable income, I would put 500, at least $500 on Rich Strike. In fact, I would not bet on anybody with odds better than 20 to 1. I would just play that game until something like this happens. And if I were to put $500 on Rich Strike, and somebody out there did, you would have walked away with $40,000. I have antibodies, don't worry. It's nothing. Whatever the hell that was, it's nothing. No more uh uh-ohs, at least for another six months. So Rich Strike, I don't know if you saw this this incredible, uh, this aerial view, but look at how... uh, He was going up against somebody named Zozo, too. I thought Zozo dude was in there. So what is this? So you're going to see Rich Strike take this crazy... Hold on, you'll see. So even at this point, you're like, okay, this horse isn't doing anything. But it's the last 25 seconds now, then suddenly... Epicenter is like a whole length ahead of everybody. Oh, man. (laughs) Now, Now Rich Strike is number three. Holy shit. And now he's two, and now Rich Strike is one. And somebody out there made a lot of money off of a, off of a little. Pretty incredible. But there was more to that story. You know, outside of there's going to be theories about who, um, who, uh, who fixed what and whatever. 
You definitely, there's going to be a story. There, there's going to be a movie about this thing one day, maybe. But here, here you go. Here's a, uh, a pretty popular comment I found on this. I haven't seen anyone, the commenter said on uh, Reddit, I think it was. I haven't seen anyone mention this yet. So for anyone not in the loop, some context on just how wild these odds were. This horse, Rich Strike, was not even in the race as of yesterday. That was, that was, um, uh, that was Saturday. So as, as of Friday. Another horse was pulled out only one day in advance, making room for Rich Strike. This was his second win ever in his eighth race. His jockey has never rode in the Derby before. His trainer had never had a horse anywhere near Derby level before. He nearly quit the racing business nearly after uh, 23 of his horses were killed in a barn fire. Holy hell. These guys were up against trainers with dozens of Derby starters. People who are buying horses with expensive bloodlines and putting a lot of money and calculated effort into producing the best derby hopeful possible and putting them under top-level jockeys. Meanwhile, Rich Strike had no fancy pedigree and was never intended to be a household name, just a solid runner in races most people would never hear about. It's mind-boggling that there are people who try over and over to win this race every year, spending enormous amounts of money trying for the perfect horse, only to get beaten by a nobody horse with an undistinguished trainer because everything worked out just right for them. It's a stereotypical underdog story on an absolutely ridiculous scale. This is the second biggest derby upset ever, the biggest one being in 1913. And here's a slight correction. Rich Strike does have good bloodlines but was claimed at a previous race rather than sold at auction. Claiming races are generally considered to be for low-quality horses. So, leaving that one with you, tomorrow I will get around, uh, I will get around to... No, actually, we have eight minutes now. Here is a Star Trek... Sp- and there's a new spinoff for Star Trek. Not that anybody here cares, but you got to see what they did. This is two minutes long. I don't know how long, how much I'll be able to get away with on on YouTube without this getting blocked. Not that I I care less and less, but Star Trek is a new spinoff or something like that that's going to television, and they release a trailer, and in the trailer it suggests that, uh, I, I guess they're doing a history lesson. They're looking back in time a long, long time ago to see how World War III, a nuclear exchange, began. And the timeline toward World War III began when? Take a guess. Three, two, one. January 6th. It's a lot like your world today. Hold on. Recently, I was treated to a glimpse of my future. It was not all I'd hoped. After all, what good is there in knowing your future? A friend of mine asked me that recently and didn't understand what he meant. Until now. Hold on. I've seen my future. Let me show you yours. Our conflict also started with a fight for freedoms. We called it the Second Civil War, then the Eugenics War, and finally, just World War III. Hey, that's pretty interesting, though. The Second Civil War, of course, that was January 6th. Um, And then the Eugenics War. Hmm. And then just finally, just World War III. Well, well, this was all together. I think the eugenics war actually started just slightly before, um, or right at, right around the same time. 
I mean, there's all types of eugenics pro- programs going on, but uh, we're talking about transhumanism. And then, of course, you have the, these alien, these hybrid humans with their deformed faces all over the place, obviously non-human. So, I mean, there you go. There's, there's a result of the eugenics war right there. This was our last day, the day the Earth we knew ceased to exist. What began as an eruption in one nation ended in the eradication of 600,000 species of animals and plants and 30% of Earth's population. 30%? Man, you think that they'd be going a lot higher than that. I got to just say, I don't care. I'm not even mad anymore. I think it's hilarious. I really do. It's hilarious. And I said in the past, if what's going to take place... If they must bring us to nuclear war, I just, I, I, I can, I can flame out like that in a, uh, with a, with a, a clean conscience, but I just want those who are LARPing us into this position to be turned into crispy critters as well. I don't want them in a, in a fucking bunker several miles underground when this all kicks off. That's all I ask for. I mean, I, obviously I'd like to, I'd like to see the humanity repair itself and to to really um uproot the evil you know when i say there's a bigger there's a bigger answer to when i ask velez hey what do you think the greatest threat we're facing right now is and i i understand what i did i i broke it down into several categories of problems that have all been planned out by a solitary conglomerate of people who by all measures are the greatest threat to everything so take with that what you may and uh yeah so the, for those of you who will be watching the new star trek that's that's the base of basis of it all i guess but i don't i can't watch network television although in three minutes I'll be watching it in rerun, Better Call Saul, episode five. This will be good. I can't wait. I'll watch that tomorrow for Lunch with Lauren. Lunch with Lauren. That'll be a uh, title of a novella, Lunch with Lauren. All right, real quick, I'm going to go through all the Super Chats again. There was no time for calls, but I think we should have a lot of time tomorrow. I have some flexibility tomorrow, no guest on the schedule, so we should be able to do that. Let's do it. Uh, Stostube, great Monday, Frank. Just keeping the lights on, brother. Looking forward to a great uh, weather week coming up. Yes, it's going to be gorgeous this week. It was gorgeous today. Thank you so much, Stostube. And by the way, uh, Stostube, I want to give him a, a special thanks because what arrived today, what arrived today in the mail was two wonderfully fresh bundles of cigars from LeftiesCigars.com. My wonderful friends in New York, hand-rolled cigars. I put them on the affiliates page. They ship all over the country, uh, and I think they do even do international shipping, but it might just be too much. It wouldn't even be worth it, though the cigars are amazing. And uh, Stostube, that was a very nice thing. Thank you so much for that. Maggie Moo says, much love, Frank. Much love to you, Maggie Moo. And um, that's it. Let me go over to the Rumble to make sure we're all set there. We are. And the Pilled. Winston Dave, thank you. Thank you so much. Zoso Dude, freaking love those sailors, says Zoso Dude. 
And a couple more from Dr. Hoffman, Shop and Thrift Stores. I found an album of Enrico Caruso and found out it's worth $1,000. I paid 25 cents. My cousin, my cousin uh, Sherry is huge on that. Every time my cousin Sherry comes to the studio, she comes bearing gifts of these little pieces of history. I mean, I don't even care what they're worth. The fact that they're just so old and they just carry that old energy with them, I, I, I'm fascinated by all of it. So we'll have Sherry come back in sometime soon too. Let's see what else we have here. What else do we have? Um, that's it. Intriguing guest tonight says to Alo Ryder. To Alo Ryder. Thank you for that. All right. All right. That's it. 2,000 Mules up after the show. I am ending it right now. So, ladies and gentlemen, you have maybe about four or five minutes, five to ten minutes perhaps. Maybe there's a little bit of a buffer. They usually do that over there on the network end of things. Go over to quitefrankly.tv, open up the tab, whether it be on your phone or whether it be on your uh, browser at home on another device. And, uh, and please, hang out. We are going to be doing a group viewing of 2,000 Mules. And then after that, it will be whatever they have in line for normal Monday night programming. I will see you tomorrow at 7, but I'll see you in the chat room in just a few minutes. Take care, be well, and thanks again to Velas from roguenews.com for swinging by. See you tomorrow. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is filmed before a live studio audience, and now our super chatter starting with Stostube, Maggie Moo, Linny Kinney, Doc Keck. Thank you to everybody who is uh, who's hung out there. Thank you to Lark, Larkstar444, and a wonderful array of people throwing those gold pills at me on Foxhole. I'm releasing the scratch it right now. Go scratch your ass with that, and I'll see you guys in just a little bit. Enjoy the evening. <laughs>